You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. All right, good morning. Great to be together. Chris gave me some great advice as I was coming up, uh, just in case you were wondering what he said. Uh, he said, don't say anything stupid. I'll do my best. <laughs> I'll do my best. Thanks, Chris. I do want to welcome the uh, South Bay. Uh, there was a buzz in the uh, fellowship this morning. Uh, I am from the South Bay from before, so it's great to have you with us. Uh, all those from the South Bay, please stand on up so we can uh, recognize you. Yeah, welcome. Got some great friends uh, from the South Bay, and uh, the rest of the church is uh, going camping. So I think, I guess, according to Justin, you guys are outside of the camp. Uh, so welcome, welcome, and uh, just to let you know also that membership form is in the back, so please fill one of those out before you leave today. Uh, we are a church that is uh, worldwide, not only throughout the L.A. area, but throughout the, the U.S. and throughout the world as well, and uh, I, I do know that there are some uh, folks from uh, those churches. I know Mark Shelley from Denver is here. Mark, are you around here somewhere? Mark, Welcome. And then uh, today, um, I want to welcome David Fox as well. David is from El Mensaje. He's going to be joining the West Side. Uh, David's joining us. Uh, he's going to be part of the West Singles Ministry. And then uh, I, this is uh, really special to us as well, uh, especially the South Bay, uh, since the church has gone for this week. This is Eddie and Joanne Blandon's last service with us here in L.A. Let me get Joanne and uh, Eddie to stand on up. Um, there they are. Okay. Uh, these guys uh, are moving to Dallas, the Dallas area, because of uh, the move with Toyota. Toyota is sending a bunch of their folks over there. And this is a great loss for uh, not only the South Bay, but really uh, the whole CLA region as well. They have served in the team ministry just tirelessly. Uh, so many of the teens in the South Bay, as well as in the West as well. Uh, have been affected uh, in a great way by them. And we're really sad to see you go. Uh, we're praying for the company to collapse so you guys can come back. A uh, whole Toyota just collapse. Like just like stocks going down. And so, but uh, that's what our heart is. We want you to come back. Uh, you always have a home here. Um, so uh, we're going to miss you. It is, it is uh, pretty emotional, I know, for a lot of us. So uh, we really pray for you over there as well. Let me get uh, Tony and Tatiana to stand up. They got baptized on Friday night at the ocean. Tony, <laughs> uh, Tony got baptized first and then turned around and baptized his wife. I tell you, that was one of the wildest baptisms uh, because of the ocean. Uh, I'm just praising God that we didn't lose anybody. I'm glad that you were added to the kingdom, but we didn't lose anybody uh, in the membership there uh, because that was pretty rough. All right. Um, See what else I got here? The Olympics. I love the Olympics. I don't know about you. Uh, we gather around as a family. This is the first year that uh, Gabby, she's four years old. She's old enough to realize what's going on, and she loves the competition. And, uh, you know, all the stuff that you've heard about Zika and all that stuff, I'm just glad that it started off and uh, we got some great competition. And the team from the U.S. is the recipient of the first gold medal. So she's, uh, she's from, um, I think, Virginia area. She's a teen, and she won the first gold medal uh, of the games. 
And uh, so cool that just to see that. And then uh, I love basketball, so I saw a little bit of, uh, I think that's Kevin Durant, right, just slamming on some dude. And just like, look at the Chinese guy. He's like, uh, I'm just going to get out of my way, um, and I'm just going to shoot for the bronze. You can have the gold. Uh, I'm just going to play in the bronze division. That, that's concession, like in the first quarter. I've never seen such a thing, but uh, I think they doubled their score. Uh, but my peeps, we're not known for um, basketball. But watch out for the ping pong on the fourth day. We're going to come and get you. We're, we're coming. All right. So we're really good at ping pong. We kind of invented the game and uh, forced our way in there. But this one, you can have it. All right. <laughs> but um, also, uh, just to transition a little bit, uh, you know, it's great having Tan Tanya here. I tell you that. I mean, what a dream team. I, I want to give them um, a round of applause again. Our dream in the West Side is to invest not only in our teen ministry in terms of the high school year, but I think with the world, the way it's going so fast, you know, right now, and so uh, just so amazingly mature for some of the things. Uh, we want to invest in our youth and family ministry. That's why we want to give our youth and family ministry our very, very best. And uh, we really believe that Tantania are the exact people that we want uh, here. And this has been great having them here for the last two months. And I was just joking with them that we were sick for like 10 days. And Lena and I were like, we waited for you to get here to be sick. I mean, we're, now we can be sick. And I feel that way, uh, just having Tantania here. They're such uh, uh, extremely talented, qualified, but our heart levels, just great-hearted people um, as well. So we're looking forward to that. Please be praying for the youth and family ministry as we continue to build that ministry because we don't want to just wait until high school. We want to start at the junior high school level and even the elementary level, uh, just really helping our kids to grow and to love God and to love one another and just to really have that opportunity as they face uh, the world. So I do want to lift up uh, the spats in such a great way. Now, uh, in the last uh, two months, we've started a kind of just going back to the Bible, because we believe that the foundation of our church has got to be the Word of God. It's not just our opinion or my opinion and, and you know, whomever it is, but it's got to be as we build this thing together. It's got to be based on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, the Word of God. So we went back, and a lot of us are doing the Bible, perhaps not in a whole year, you know, take your time in it, but, uh, you know, a good friend of ours wrote a series, a commentary series, uh, co-authored by Jet Doe, uh, by the way. Um, uh, it's commentary for the whole year. And we're going through that together. A lot of us are going through that together. Some of us are taking a little bit longer, uh, but we started off in Genesis and we're in Leviticus. I've been praying for you and myself. This is kind of rough uh, going through Leviticus. But just weeding, uh, wading through uh, the writings of, of the prophets, uh, Moses, accordingly, uh, but today we're going to go into that and kind of get a summary of what the heck is going on in the first five books of the Bible. And I think it's going to really help us today as we, we look at this video together. It's put on by the Bible Project people, and they did a, such a great job in just summarizing that. And I, I looked at it and I go, wow, that's a lot better than what I can do. So here we're going to watch this video together, and then we'll go from there. Okay, it's called the Bible Project. Uh, this one is called The Law. Okay, all right, let's go for it. 
You're most likely familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible, stuff we generally take as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents, the list goes on. And those are just the first ten. There are actually a total of 613 commands, all given to ancient Israel, found in the first five books of the Bible, which in Hebrew are called the Torah. Now the word Torah is usually translated in English as the law, because it has all of these laws in it. And as you read through them, you wonder... Am I supposed to obey some of these, all of these? I mean, what's the purpose of the law? Well, that translation is kind of confusing because while the Torah has laws in it, the book itself is fundamentally a story about how God is creating new kinds of people who are fully able to love God and love others. And when Jesus taught about the Torah, he said that he was bringing that story to its fulfillment. So walk me through the story and how it's fulfilled. So the story begins with God creating humanity who rebels. And God chooses Abraham to bless all of the nations through his family, who end up in slavery down in Egypt, and so God rescues them. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, like an agreement. And all of the laws that Moses gives to Israel are the terms of that agreement. They're like a constitution. And so some of the laws are about rituals and customs that set Israel apart from the nations. Other laws are about social justice or morality. And by following these, Israel would show the other nations what God is like. Okay, so the rest of the Torah is just the complete list of laws that Moses gives Israel? Mm, no, the rest of the Torah just continues the story. And the 613 commands are only a selection from that original constitution. And even these have been broken up and placed at strategic points within the story. Now pay attention, because you'll see a really clear pattern. Moses gives the first laws to Israel. Yeah, don't worship other gods, don't make idols. And then right after that, there's a story of Israel breaking those very laws. Yeah, they worship the golden calf. And so Moses gives some more laws, and then you get more stories of rebellion. Some more laws, rebellion again, some more laws, more rebellion, and you start to see the point. Right, no matter how many laws, they're just going to continue to rebel. So at the conclusion of the Torah's story, Moses gives this final speech to Israel as they prepare to go into their new home. And he tells them, you guys, I know that you're not going to follow all of God's laws. You've proven to me that you're incapable. And Moses says the problem is that their hearts are hard and that they're going to need new transformed hearts if they're ever going to truly follow God's law. And he was right. I mean, the story goes on to recount Israel's total failure. They go into the land, they break all the laws. Right. Now, the next section of books in the Jewish tradition are the 15 books of the prophets, and they reflect back on the story. For example, Ezekiel, he said that if Israel was ever going to obey the law, God's spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. And Jeremiah said that's when obedience to God's commands wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep in their hearts. And Isaiah, he promised a future leader, Israel's Messiah, who will lead all of the people in obedience to the law. Now, in Jewish tradition, all of these books together are called the prophets, even the historical books, because they're continuing the story told from the perspective of the prophets. Okay, so we have the law and the prophets, and they're telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through a people, Israel, who it turns out needs a new heart. Yes, and Jesus saw himself as continuing that story. So he agreed with the law and the prophets when he taught that it's out of the human heart that come the most ugly parts of human nature. It's like the default setting of our hearts is opposed to God's law. But Jesus also said that he came to solve that problem, and in his words, to fulfill the law. 
So what does he mean there to fulfill the law? Well, first he said that the demand of all of the laws in the Torah could be fulfilled by what he called the great command, that we are to love God and to love others. So that seems pretty easy. I mean, we all want to love. Well, we think we want to love. But Jesus showed how love is far more demanding than we realize. So he quotes the law, do not murder. And he says, yes, not killing someone is a very loving thing to do. But then he also says that when you treat someone with disrespect or when you nurse resentment against them, you're also violating God's moral ideal because you're not treating that person with love. And so Jesus said true love ought to extend even to our own enemies. So even though this command seems very simple, Jesus showed how our hearts are not currently equipped to fulfill even this basic command of God to love others. And that's kind of a downer. But where Israel failed, Jesus brought this story to its fulfillment. As Israel's Messiah, he fully loved God and others. And he showed all of the nations what God is truly like. He did this through his acts of compassion and mercy and ultimately by loving his enemies even unto death. And after his resurrection, he told his followers that he would send God's spirit to transform their hearts so that they could follow him and fulfill the purpose of the law, to love God and to love their neighbor. So this fulfills the story of the law and the prophets, or in the words of the Apostle Paul, the one who loves fulfills the law. Wasn't that pretty cool? Yeah, I thought it really did a great job in summing up uh, the scriptures, and that's what the first five books of the Bible is. In some ways, it gives us a full panoply of God's establishment of a people and then God's establishment of a law that would permeate into the people of Israel, but in the future would transcend uh, through uh, Jesus. And that's where we are today. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about how the, the Old Testament was written. It wasn't written to us, but it was written for us, meaning what? that it was written not for us, that all those 613 laws, we don't have to, a lot of those ceremonial laws or ritualistic laws, we don't have to follow. Praise God, all right? Because they're pretty cumbersome. Uh, and, other, and, and, and also the Culver City Fire Department will not allow an unauthorized fire right in the corner there, okay? I mean, this is not going to happen. We live in a modern time. However, the moral laws still applies to us today. God is unchanging. So the things that he taught the people as he took them out of Egypt to make them into a people still applies to us today. In the church today is the same thing. We all, if you look around us, we all come from different backgrounds. Praise God. You know, when people come to our service, they are always amazed. They're like, man, this is one of the most diverse groups I've ever seen in my life. Okay? Are they pretending to get along? Are they, you know, kind of just getting together? No, I'm glad to say that I really think that God has worked in our lives bringing all the differences together and really helping us to be unified together under Christ. And to God be the glory for that. Amen? So today, what I want to do is look through and get a synopsis of the first five books in the Bible to try to sum it all up. Like, What was important to God as he was putting his people together as it applies to today? Not the things that are not applicable to us anymore, but the things that are applicable today. What is it that God wants us to be like as he tried to form these people and tries to live with them and be amongst them as well? Okay. So the title of our lesson today is simply entitled Living in the Presence of God. He says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. 
The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. You know, I think about those people that made it to the Olympic teams. It's pretty amazing. It's once in a lifetime. There are people that made it to the last Olympic team that didn't make it this year. There are people that, you know, one of our brothers, you know, he was training for it, but he got hurt and he was not able to go. And it's not like, oh, I'll go next year. It's four years from now. Okay. And time catches up with you. Okay. So it's it's an incredible honor to be chosen to represent your country. But how much more so when God says out of all the people in the world, I'm going to give them free will as I create them. They're going to do whatever they want. Because that is my, the essence of who I am. I will not make you do anything. But I will give you some options. I give you some choices. And God says, you are my people. You, 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 you are my people, my treasured possession. You know, the book of, uh, the Old Testament book can be a little bit cold, to be honest with you. Some of the commands and some of the imperatives in the Bible can be a little bit like, oh my gosh, okay, just do this and do that. But I love what the Bible talks about, how God interjects himself and with words he says that we are his treasured possession you are of all the peoples in the world are the closest to me i really think that this is something personal is that as a christian that is so fundamental in our relationship with god but really in our relationship with one another as well do we really feel that way do we really have do we grasp the understanding of the fact that we are his treasured possession. David did. You know what David said about himself? He says, I am the apple of God's eye. Keep me the apple of your eye. It's an understanding of the relationship, an understanding, trusting God's word for what it is. And I know it sounds like such a little thing, but it's a huge thing. So many of us go through life feeling unworthy. So many of us go through life going, oh man, I am nobody. I'm this. God says, you are my treasured possession. And God says, what do I have to do to get that through your mind? Because I think if we understand that, there's a base, a foundation inside of us that allows us to have a relationship with other people as well. That is so important in understanding who we are. I think that's fundamental in just what God is trying to do to these people as they took them out from slavery. He said, yeah, you were slaves. But now you are a treasured possession going from slavery to the most treasured possession on the face of the earth. And that's why he was trying to convince them over and over and over and over again. And Paul understood it. Paul says the goals of this command is what? Love. The goal of these commands is love. He's trying to get these people to understand who they are, that they are separate from the world. And a lot of sociologists will tell you that some of the laws that God laid out, even the most mundane laws about cleanliness and stuff like that, it saved the Israelites from diseases. It saved them from all kinds of of things that were so rampant in the ancient times. God says, you are my treasured possession. But at the same time, we got to realize that God is, we are God's treasured possession, but God is not some aloof figure out there. God lived among the people uh, in those times. He says, I want to be with you. I want to live with you. I want to be in your midst. I want to walk with you. That's why the laws are like, I'm God. I'm holy. Be holy as well. It's not this like, hey, I want to be with you. You're my treasure possession. Do whatever you want. No, there's a covenant relationship that God wants us to have. You know, Chris and Jenny are getting married in, in the next uh, few weeks here. 
And I asked Chris, uh, you know, this morning, how's it, how's it going? He goes, you know, the engagement part is really tough, bro. I can't wait. It's true. And I go, yeah, that is kind of true. It's, it's tough waiting, you know, to be together. It's tough waiting to, to, to uh, live together. It's tough waiting for that. But God says what? God says living in the presence of God says you and me, we're going to live together and I'm going to be in your midst. So God sets up what? He sets up the pillar of fire of, at nighttime where they can see his presence. During the day, it was switched over to a pillar of cloud uh, during the daytime. And God instituted the beginning of temple worship, which is the tabernacle. This is before the temple was established. And when they're in the wilderness, God, this is like a portable temple that he uh, asked them to set up. And there were the tents outside. There was different areas. Uh, and then inside the, the temple itself was the Holy of Holies, where the ark was containing the Ten Commandments. That's where the, 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 the presence of God is. And that was a holy place that God sets up for the people so that they know that he is in their midst to remind them that he is in their midst. I think one of the greatest challenge, one of the greatest challenges of being a Christian is constantly understanding that God is in our midst. It is kind of scary, isn't it? That God is in our midst. That the, the, the awareness of God in our midst. It definitely will change the way we treat each other. I think it will definitely change the way that we treat ourselves even. That God is in our midst. That awareness and building that awareness. I have three points today. Point number one is just live mindfully. We've got to live mindfully of who God is. You know, Reuben was the first son. In all accounts, he was the man. In ancient times, if you were the first son, you, you get a double portion of the inheritance. And you get the birthright as well. And Reuben, in most accounts, was a great guy. He was the firstborn. Uh, he uh, speaks on Joseph's behalf. He has character. The brothers are trying to get rid of Joseph, and, and Reuben was the one that stood up for him. didn't work, but he stood up for him. Thirdly, he was instrumental in all, when all this stuff has happened, in Egypt, when Joseph was finally the king of uh, the uh, the prime minister of Egypt, he went there and he fought for uh, his family to be united. What a great guy! Okay, but yet, as we have said, that the book of Genesis is a little bit—it gives us a glimpse of what's going to happen. So, at the end of it all, when uh, when uh, you know Joseph and all the brothers were gathering around. And Israel himself, Jacob, was pronouncing all the great things that were going to happen. And Reuben himself was a great guy. He did incredible things. But look what happened to him. And it's going to help us to understand to respect God more. And understanding that we need to live in the, in the mindfulness of God. In Genesis chapter 30, 49, in verse 3, he says, Reuben, you are my firstborn. You're You're awesome. You, you are a great disciple. You're a great Christian. I'm, I'm stretching a little bit. My might, my first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power. At this point, he gets all the brothers together. Jacob was laying out the will. Oh, so far, so good. My firstborn. Look what happens. Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. For you went up unto your father's bed, 
onto my couch and defiled it. Wow. What a letdown. He thought he got the big prize, you know, door number three. I got it, you know. But instead he had this dropped on him. And Jacob says, you know, remember that time that you defiled my bed? And you thought that no one knew. You thought that it was okay. You thought that it didn't matter. You thought that, well, who cares? Everyone does it. But God cares. And Joseph cares. You see, as God is making his people and trying to get them to be different, they need to be different. Not to say that we're perfect in any ways. But, you know, we're not, right? I was talking to Todd this morning, and we were talking about something and trying our best, and it reminded me of a story of Mr. Miyagi. Remember the karate kid? Mr. Miyagi with, with his chopsticks. He was trying to catch the fly, remember? I know I'm dating myself. I was a kid back then. You know, he's trying to catch the fly, and, and then Ralph Macchio looked at him, and Ralph Macchio says, have you ever caught it? He says, never. I never caught it. But he keeps trying. And that's what ministry is. I was talking to Todd. I said, that's what ministry is. Keep trying, but you'll never get it. We'll never be perfect until the day that we die. We're not perfect. Only through Christ are we perfect. But why pretend that we're perfect while we're not perfect? So living in the midst of who God is, being mindful, we've got to be mindful of our sins. And God gives us a way out. Not that God expected Reuben to be perfect, because if you look at the Bible, if you read anything in the Bible, with anything in Genesis, you see all the shenanigans of everybody, including the father, the son, and everybody. That's not the point. The point is living and being mindful of our sins and being mindful of God and doing God things the way that God wants us to do it. In our church, in our fellowship, we need to walk in the light. That's what's going to separate us. We're not just playing church on Sunday morning. But we live in the light. We open up and we talk about things together. First John chapter 1, this is New Testament stuff. He says if we claim to have fellowship with him, you walk in the darkness. We lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light. As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. He says, why, why, why is the fellowship not humming? Why is the fellowship kind of dry and kind of down? Because we're not walking in the light with one another. We're not being open with one another. And the blood of Jesus, he says, the Son purifies us from all sins. It's hard to be open. It's not easy. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, it's like the Fonz, right? Or as many of you guys know, I gotta watch newer TV shows, okay? But Happy Days, back then it was the Fonz. He was the coolest guy in town. He could never say sorry. He's a, you know, like, he can never say sorry. Right? Some of the older guys are laughing. I look at Mark Shaw. He's like, oh, that's a great show. Um, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Right? And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purifies us from all unrighteousness. That is grace. God says, I know you're going to mess up. We all mess up. Take responsibility. Take ownership. That's what I want my church to be. Nobody's perfect, but that's where the power of God lies. Is in our imperfection, we find perfection and forgiveness in God. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. If we're not open, 
And I'm not talking about just sin. I'm talking about just inculcating a spirit of humility and openness and vulnerability. We don't have relationship with one another. Well, you know, this past week, uh, no, no, that's not bad. Two weeks ago, Nicole's uh, doing her thing in Kenya, uh, the Hope Youth Corps, and I, we almost didn't send her. I was kind of nervous about sending her all the way to Kenya. She had a nine-hour layover in the Middle East and then to Kenya. I was a little worried, you know. You know, she's, she's you know, Nicole's, she's, she's little. She's, you know, she's, she thinks she's five feet tall, but honestly, she's like 4'11", okay, um, and a half. All right, so I was a little nervous, okay. Uh, you know, like taking that guy, he says, I have a certain amount of skills. I have none of those skills. So I was going to tell Nicole, dad has no skills to, to rescue you if something happened. Why don't you just stay? Okay, that would save us a lot of trouble. Okay, but she went. But during the last day, something happened. I was just really nervous. I, I get nervous when my girls go. Nicole was at the DMV trying to squeeze everything in, trying to take her driver's test. Her flight was like three hours away. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know. So she calls me. She forgot her. She forgot something. Her, her, her ID. She forgot her ID. And I'm like, I hung up on her. I hung up on my daughter. Nicole's pretty smart. She calls me back. She goes, Dad, did you hang up on me? And here's, here's the thing. I lied. I said no. I said nope. Nope, 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 nope. Nope, nope. So I talked through some stuff. I'll come and get you. Da da da. Driving home from the DMV, Culver City, Washington. Nicole, I lied to you. I just couldn't live with myself. I, I couldn't do it. You know, I, I I wanted to. It's hard. It's really hard confessing to your daughter. It's really hard. Okay. But I had to do it. I, I just I just couldn't live with who I was. I just couldn't do it. just couldn't do it. And I, she forgave me, and it all worked out, and even lost a lot of respect for me in the last two minutes. But amen. You know, that's okay. That's all right. You know, but be open, amen, to God. I, I'd rather care more about what God thinks of me than what you think of me. Amen? So let's not make God out to be a liar. My dear children, I write you this so that you will not sin. Right? I appreciate what Rachel shared. You know, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But if anyone does sin, 1 John 2, he goes, you're going to sin. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Amen? We're cool. We're covered. But if we use that, we don't, we don't mess around. We sin, we get things out. Point number two, live wholeheartedly. So I'm just trying to cherry pick some of the most important things uh, out of the first five books. Live wholeheartedly. I mean, God, God is a God that demands wholehearted devotion. That's the only way that he was going to enter this covenant relationship with these people. I know you're a sinner. I've seen you. I want to go around because I don't want to destroy you. But you know what? I need you to live wholeheartedly. And God spoke these words. And God spoke these words. It wasn't Moses. It was God who spoke these words of the Ten Commandments. The first one is in form. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. First of the 613 commandments, you cannot, if we are, if I'm going to be in your midst, you, you can't be bringing people around when I'm, you know, at night. You can't sneak when I'm at the movies. You can't 
bring, you know, watch this. You can't, you know, you, you, you got to have no other gods before me in form, in spirits, and in, you know. And this next one here is the second one, which is more of a form. The first one is more of an object. You can't have anything before me. But the second one is more of a form. How are you going to do that? He said, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You can't have an idol in your hearts. You can't secretly go, oh, I go to church. God, you're awesome, this and that. But I'm keeping this for myself, all right? No one's going to mess with this. I can give you all this other stuff, all this other stuff I'm going to be made known to you, but this, um, this is mine. And God says, I, I can't do that. If you want me to be in your midst, you've got to surrender who you are. In the New Testament, and here's the reason why. I think it's so important. I appreciate what Rachel shared today. It's so important to know the reason. I, I can't, I know for me, I can't just do things. Life is too short. There are times when I'll do things because I have to do it. But a lot of times I do things because I got to know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm not going to give up my life because someone said so. I do want to give up my life if I understand the reason behind it. So Jesus gives us the reasons. Isn't that cool? He says, so do not worry. Don't put an idol before. What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Let me get this diploma. If I don't get this diploma, I'm, I'm, I'm toast. If I don't go to this school, I'm fried. You know, I can't compete. God says, chill out. What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. People that have no God. They're all by themselves. And that makes total sense to me. Right? If you have nobody else, if you put all your trust, if I put all my trust in this idol, that's why it's so offensive to God. You know, we live in Thailand for a amount of years, and there are a lot of idols in a physical form. And it is, I can see why it is so offensive to God. Because it's like me saying that, you know, uh, but, you know Bernard, okay? Say, Bernard, now what's Bernard like? You know, Bernard, Bernard, he's like this piece of statue. He's like this piece of wood. Yeah, that's who he is. That is unfair because it, it cannot fully describe who God is. Right? And that's why God is so, it's like, why not trust me and all my powers instead of trusting this thing? And Jesus, as he was forming his people at the beginning of his ministry, building the church, he says, for the pagans run after these things. They have no God. Of course they've got to go after these things. They're by themselves. What they make of it is what they live with. You're not like that. You don't have to seek revenge. You can chill out because it is mine to avenge. God says, I'll take care of it. You don't have to go out. You don't have to be full of bitterness. I don't have to be full of anger and seek revenge and, you know, scheme for the next two years and, you know, and all that. God says, I will take care of it. Not only the food that you wear, not only the clothes, but the internal turmoil, the stuff that was unfair, the social justice that's unfair. God says, I'm going to take care of it. Some of us make social justice our, our idol. And I tell you something, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. It is unfair. It is wrong. But you're not going to get it. What we are going to get is justice ultimately from God. For your Heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first His kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Be fired above the word of God. Amen?
be fired up about what he's trying to tell us. That should be like, oh my gosh, when we sit down to read our Bible, we should pray before and says, God, thank you so much for this. Thank you so much for taking the time to show me this. You didn't have to, but thank you so much. Open up my heart. Tell me what you want me to see. Tell me what you want me to see. Thank you so much for your church, God. They, people don't have to be here. They don't, you know, people don't have to ask me questions about how I'm doing. They're not trying to meddle. They're just trying to ask because you ask God, you ask them to ask you. Okay? If it was me, I, I, I'd rather watch a game. I'll be honest with you. It's messy. I told you before, my sister, when she found out I was a minister, she said, you know what she said to me? She said, why do you want to do that? Why do you want to get messy with all these people's lives? She was the one that moved to Oregon to get away from everybody. So I can see why she would say that, you know. It's true. It's that we, we, we mesh ourselves in each other's lives, and it's so messy, you know. It's like, and then you get written about, you know. It's like all this weird stuff. You're like, oh, my gosh. Right? Seek first the kingdom. It will be all given. God says, I'll take care of you. I'll meet your needs. I'll meet your needs. Number three as we close on out. Love passionately. It's not just devotion. It's not just commitment. Commitment seems so like, if I can just hang on, you know, my Christian life until the day I die, it would be great. I think there's, there's times like that. But if it's always like that, it's really hard. It's hard. I think God calls us to love passionately, to be a people of love. That's why, that's why the old law is like, done, done. Let me give you something new. Let me give you something Jesus you know, I stole that word passion from the passionately from passion. The passion is the word that is described when Jesus, the time when Jesus went into Jerusalem until the day, uh, the time he was crucified. That's known as the passion of Christ. I think uh, it was a movie that was made 2006 out of it. It's called The Passion of Christ. And it's from the Latin, it's from the Greek as well. Okay, pasco. Okay, that's the Greek for passion. And this, this is what it stands for. It's not a passion like, you know, to go after sports or whatever. It says, the short definition is, I am acted upon, suffer. The longer definition is, I am acted upon in a certain way, either good or bad. I experience ill treatment and suffer. Love suffers long. And God shows us by the cross what it means. If I'm going to live in your midst, I'm going to show you that we need to suffer long with each other. He says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that to lay down his life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you my servants because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you my friends for everything that I have learned from my father I have made known to you. This is exactly what Rachel talked about uh, earlier in her sharing. I want to know why. And God gives us the reasons why. He says, listen, I, I'm not just going to tell you what to do. And loving me is not just this ethereal love. I, I always find that scripture interesting. You are my friends if you do what I command. All right? It's a lot of theology there. It's, it, it's saying that it's not, our relationship with God is not based on just an emotional, fluffy, feeling kind of love. It's based on a covenant. It's based on his word and our obedience to his word, his covenants, our covenant with him as well. Don't be fooled by imitation. Today, a lot of people will tell you, all you got to do is just, you know, like this feeling. It's, not, it's more than a feeling. 
Okay? It's our relationship with God. And through the Word of God, that's how we keep our relationship with God. He says, I have called you my friends. Everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. That's it. Jesus says what? That's all I got. Not holding anything back. What I know, you know. What I have, you have. You're my friends. Jesus lived and loved passionately. And I know a lot of you guys hate, hate it when I share this. It's going to be 50 in a few months. Big, big. I'm excited. I'm excited. Thinking maybe 50 to 70, 20 years of productive life left. I told Lena, if I can't operate the remote control anymore, it's time to go. <laughs> but I think I can handle 50 to 70. I want to get in shape. I want to get ready. I don't want to live just longevity-wise. I want to live passionately in building up God's church. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you that we have these words to remind us, to inspire us, and to help us as well. Father, help us to look at the examples of the Old Testament and the people that have gone before us and help us to live mindfully, God, of who you are and just appreciate you and know that you are uh, in our midst, God. And lastly, God, I want to live passionately, God, and love passionately because that's the only way to live, to be like our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless our fellowship. Help us to be the people that you want us to be. And uh, God, help us to really get there and uh, God, to inspire the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great afternoon, guys. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.